this morning, I was telling a few people earlier that last night I was in Wellington celebrating my mother-in-law's birthday, and I flew back this morning um, on the, one of the earliest New, New Zealand flights to speak, and there was a little bit of a problem with the plane, and they somehow managed to accidentally hit the staircase into the side of the plane, and they're like, we're getting engineers, the plane's been like, I don't know, hit on the outside, it's not good, and so we're sitting in the plane for like 40 minutes while engineers are working on it, and I'm like, oh my goodness, what happens if the flight is cancelled and I can't get back to church? And I was like, I've got to be honest with you. A few weeks ago, I spoke about anxiety. I was getting very anxious. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be in big trouble. Um, Craig is not going to be happy. I'm going to be right. I'm going to be like ringing someone and being like, who wants to just like, you know, do a message on the fly? I probably would have rang you. You would have been up, Andrew. Would have rang you. What you got? Um, <laughs> no, but it was fine. But I was, I was thinking after that. I was like, man, it actually wouldn't have been a problem. Do you know that this morning during the service, we actually have two other people preaching, and we would have pulled one of them, and we've got Ben speaking in Switch, and he's doing a message about building your life on the foundation of God's Word, and we've got Phil Hands doing a message in Ignite about how Jesus is the greatest superhero that ever lived, and he's comparing him to these four different superheroes, and how Jesus is bigger, stronger, better, and so I love this morning that it's not just like one message at church, but there's three different messages happening with three awesome things, and if you've got kids here, your kids are getting preached at this morning, and it's awesome, and it's great, and they're getting grown and stretched and challenged, and so I love that, and I'm excited about that this morning. I'm excited to speak in here, but I'm excited that there's two other awesome messages happening. How cool is that? So good. So if you're part of the Switch team or the Ignite team or something like that, shot guys, you're doing an awesome job. Love it. Um, but I've got to tell you this morning, continuing on from that, you might wish that my f- flight got delayed and that Phil or Ben had to speak this morning because we're doing the hostage series and it's not quite as fluffy and comfortable as speaking about how Jesus is a superhero. Um, I've got to be honest with you this morning, it's not quite that comfortable, but I love that also that we have pastors who are brave enough to have messages that are a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit challenging, that aren't just all like, you know, those happy, feel-good messages. I love that Craig and Trina are like so keen to do that because I believe that's what Jesus did in the Bible, right? He didn't come and just be like real nice and kind. He came and spoke truth. And so I've been loving this series because even though it's a little bit challenging to hear or, or to even to write, to be honest, um, I love it because it's God's word and it's good and it's challenging me. And I, I'm not sure if you've been challenged in the last two weeks, but I certainly have, um, especially... The first week we spoke about anxiety, and every time since then I've been watching it happen, I'm like, oh my gosh, Gina, fire out, you know this, and then addictions as well. I've been too scared to go on Facebook like all the week after Dave's message last week, anyone else like that? That afternoon, Dave's like, did you see this on Instagram? And I'm like, no, I haven't been on, I'm just like a little bit nervous, I just like freaked me out. (laughs) But anyway, this morning, um, the topic we're speaking about, and this is the last message in the hostage series. Next week, like Sasuke said, we've got um, Pastor Stephen Miller coming, which is going to be awesome. Make sure you come out to that and bring someone, because it's going to be a great morning in church. Um, But this week's our last week of the series, um, Hostage, and we're talking about how offense can hold us hostage. And it's going to be good. I hope you're ready for it. Um, Buckle up. It's going to be good. But just in case you haven't been here over the last two Sundays... Um, This series is basically all about, we've looked at three different things, offense, addiction, and anxiety, and how those things can keep us hostage in our lives, can tie us up, and how um, we believe that, well, the Bible says that in John 10.10, that Jesus came to give us life um, and to have life more abundantly, but that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we've been talking about these things and just really trying to understand how to have God's freedom in our lives over these things. And um, I've loved it. It's been great. So I'm just going to pray and we're going to get into this morning's message. Is that all right? You ready? All right, let's do it. Awesome.
Yeah, God, we thank you that we can be in your house this morning, God. We thank you. Yeah, God, I thank you for every single person who's here, God, because they love you and they want to worship you and hear, learn from you, God, and get closer to you this morning, God. And I pray that, yeah, as we speak this message this morning, God, and we learn about offense and what it can do in our lives, God, that we would all come with open hearts, God. We would, yeah, be able to, I guess, let you speak to us through it, God, and that, yeah, this morning we would, there'll be people in this place, yeah, hopefully lots of us, God, finding freedom from offenses in our lives, God, and what that can do in us. So I thank you, and we're excited for what you're going to do in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So we're speaking about offense, and I don't know about you, but I think we live in an age where everyone is offended almost all the time. Has anyone ever been on Facebook and saw one of their friends, you know, like, you know those, like, Facebook rants, and then someone's offended by it, you've been offended by it? I think that's everyone. Um, we just live in a world, I think especially with social media, where not we can be offended more, but where we see it more, right? You see the, your post your friend puts up, and then the other friend retaliates, and it just gets into those, one of those like, nasty kind of things. Everyone's offended, and getting offended is very easy, I think this. Um, and I think that sometimes so many things can offend us. Um, someone's too direct, someone's not direct enough. If someone says something, or they don't say something, or they do something, or they don't do something, they don't meet our expectations, so many things can offend us. And I was thinking about this during the week. Um, sometimes in my life, the most ridiculous random things have offended me that people have done. Um, and there's a story which is so vivid in my mind um, about when I got offended about the strangest thing. And I shared it with you this morning, but it was when I was in year 13 at high school, so my last year of high school, and I was going to the school ball. And um, I was, we, all my group of friends, we decided that after the ball, we'd have like a sleepover and we'd get food and just like, it'd be fun. So my parents said we could come to our house. And so I was like, okay. What is the best snacks to have? And I was like, sushi. Is anyone a sushi person? You should be. Sushi is delicious. It's amazing. Um, and my mom has, like, is somehow, like, best friends with the lady who owns Joy Sushi. Um, I think Sushi goes there so much. And so um, I went down to Joy Sushi and saw Bonnie and um, wanted to get, like, one of those big sushi platters. Like, you know, the, the massive, I don't know, it's got, like, little cool tomatoes cut up in the middle and they're amazing and it was like $40 or something and for me that was quite a lot of money. I was a student so my weekly income I think when I, for my job was only like $58 a week so it was pretty much like a full week's wage and so um, I was like oh and so I brought this order the sushi platter and I was so excited about it and if you've ever been to a ball generally the food isn't very it's not very good. Um, I think we had like butter chicken at the school ball and it was quite average and but anyway the whole time I'm just so excited for my sushi platter, I'm like, who cares? I think like, the whole night was kind of like paling in comparison to the idea of my sushi platter. Like, I was just so excited about a massive plate of sushi. And so we get back, we catch the bus back to school, and we jump on some cars. And my friends who were coming to my house, there was maybe like 10 of us, um, they were excited about sushi as well. We all love sushi. And one car of a few of my friends got to my house first, and they went into the lounge where it was, and they just like broke out the sushi platter and just started eating sushi, but without me. And oh my goodness, it just got me, eh? And so I got home, walk into my lounge, I'm like, where's the sushi? And they're already eating my sushi, our sushi, but it was my sushi, and I was mad about it. And can I tell you that that got me offended, and I honestly held onto that for several weeks, and I was mad, and I think my friends just had no idea what was up with me. They're like, I don't even know what Gina's on about. But someone opening my sushi platter just like, offended me ridiculously, like, and... There's been a lot of times in my life where other things, some things a lot more serious have offended me, but sometimes the silliest, craziest things have offended me. And we're going to talk about that this morning, about what offense does. Um, 
Because I believe that in our society, offense has been quite normalized. You know, it's normal. Like, it's normal to go on Facebook and see someone offended at someone. It's normal to go on and, you know, like, see on the news, like, someone upset someone or the celebrity upset someone else. Or, you know, like, it's quite normal for us. But in the Bible, offense is not normal. Jesus does not think offense is normal at all. And I just want to quickly read to you from a verse we'll talk about a lot today. Um, in Matthew 5, it's from the Beatitudes. And this is really telling us how Jesus feels about how Jesus feels about this and how for him it is so not normal. It says this, you have heard what our, that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifices to God. And this is intense. Jesus says, if you're at church and you're in worship and then you remember that you've got something against someone, leave, go sort it out and come back and then keep worshiping me. And that's intense, right? Like, that is intense. Jesus feels very strongly about our relationships with people and whether we're angry, offended, hurt with people. And so Jesus, for him, offense is not normal. It's something serious, and it's something powerful. And so this morning, we're going to talk about that. In our world where offense is so normalized, what is so wrong with offense? And that's the first question we're going to talk about today, Um, because Jesus has a big problem with it. Jesus hates it. Um, And so the question, what is so wrong with offense? And we're just going to look at three things, what offense can do in our lives, and then we're going to talk about how we can be less offended. Can you person, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm not offended? Just try and convince yourself. Okay, right. Let's go. The first thing that offense does is offense pollutes. And as we talk about offense today, I'm going to talk quite a lot about bitterness as well. And I believe that it's very hard for us, it's possible, but to get offended and then just quickly let it go. More often than not, we don't just like see someone eating our sushi platter, get offended, and then five minutes later be like, ah, oh, but it's all right. More often than not, we see someone eating our sushi platter, and then five minutes later, we're going over in our head, and we're like, I know what I'm going to say to them when I talk to them about it. I'm going to... I'm going to tell her. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, we're going over it again, and we're like, actually, no, I'm going to say this. And one day later, and three days later, and five days later, we're still thinking about it. Um, And easily, eventually, offense can turn into bitterness. And um, don't say it's never happened to you. Don't lie to me like that. Um, But so often we can let bitterness grow where offense first starts. And so we're going to talk a little bit about them um, today, because they're quite connected. And In Hebrews 12, there's a verse, and it says this. Make an effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. He just makes it sound real easy, eh? Make make an effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Far out. Um, It says this. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And so... The NLT version of this verse says, Whenever the bitter root springs up, many are corrupted 
by its poison. And so it's talking about how bitterness is like a poison in our lives. And the Greek word that's used there is, I'm terrible at this kind of stuff, but we'll call it miano, but it's definitely not that. But that kind of sounds Greek, so we're going to go with it. Um, and the word means to stain, pollute, or contaminate. And so what the Bible says is that when bitterness grows in our life, it grows and it stains, pollutes, and contaminates us. And bitterness or offense is like that in our life. Um, sometimes it seems like not much, right? Like, I'm just annoyed at my friend because she ate my sushi. Eventually I'll get over it and it'll be okay. But the Bible says that offense and bitterness is something that pollutes our lives. And I love in the verse we read, I don't love it actually, it freaks me out. In the verse I read to you earlier from Matthew 5, it said, if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fire of hell. Oh my goodness. It just got real intense right there. I was reading that and I was like, oh my goodness. Um, if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fire of hell. And so Jesus, the Bible talks about how offense pollutes us. And then it talks about this idea. And this kind of freaked me out. I'm like, what does that mean? And I was looking into this this week and listening to a few messages. And in the Bible, the word for hell um, used often um, is a word called Gehenna. And for anyone who is reading this, Gehenna brings back a lot of images for them. They know what Gehenna is. And so when the Bible says hell, it uses this word Gehenna. And Gehenna was a place in Israel where thousands of years earlier in the, in the Old Testament, um, people had set up a false god and they would go to Gehenna, this valley near their city, and they would sacrifice their children to this false god called Moloch. And so they would take their babies there to, as sacrifices. And so Gehenna was a place that they knew. And Gehenna, Gehenna had um, stopped, that had stopped in Gehenna, um, they decided that, you know, they'd realized who their true God was, and they stopped sacrificing to Moloch. But Gehenna, because it was just a place like no one wanted to be, that was, that was not a nice place because of what the past of what had happened there. They decided to turn Gehenna into the city rubbish dump. And so in Gehenna was a big rubbish dump where all the city's rubbish would go, and it was just burnt there. And so Gehenna, they would say, was basically just like a constant burning fire of rubbish. So when someone in the Bible talks about hell, they're often using the image that the Israelites would have understood of this burning pile of rubbish. It's just like the one place you would never want to go. And so when the Bible talks about when Jesus is on the mount talking about the Beatitudes, he's saying that, you know, when we curse someone, when we call someone a fool, when we have trouble in our relationship with someone, we're in danger of the fire of hell. And for them, they would understand that that is this like gross, polluted place that you would never want to be. It's filled with rubbish and it's constantly burning. He's saying, when you have trouble in your relationship with people, it's like a living hell. It's like in your heart is like a rubbish dump of burning disgust, I guess, filth. It's not a place you want to be. And Jesus comes along and he says, if you let offense sit in your life, if you let bitterness sit there, if you let, you know, you get yourself get so bitter that you're cursing people, that you're, you don't have right relationships with people, that is a place that's so polluted, it's almost like you're going to be in Gehenna. And that's a real strong image. It's crazy. But Jesus was so against, was so against this. And because, I guess, yeah, because offense pollutes our lives. And sometimes, you know, I, I know so many times in my life, um, I've come to church and probably during worship been like, oh man, so mad at her for eating my sushi. Like, it's easy to do, right? Like, it just doesn't seem like that big of a deal to me often in my life because it's just so normalized for me because being annoyed at someone, what is that? But Jesus comes and he says, if you do that, like that's like living in Gehenna in your life. It is, that's how bad it is. And it's like our English translation is like living hell. 
It's Gehenna. And so Jesus tells us that offense pollutes our lives. And that's, I believe that's why he tells us, if you come to church, the, the verse where he says, if you come to church and you're going to um, give me an offering, you're going to worship, but then you remember you have a problem with someone, I need you to go and sort that out, then come back and worship me. And why is that? Like, why, why does Jesus want us to go, like, stop worshiping him to go talk to someone? Because offense pollutes our lives. And not just, like, the little bit of our life between us and the other person. It pollutes our whole lives and it even affects our relationship with God. And he says, you need to go and get less bitter and get less offended and sort that out. And then you can come to me, non-polluted, and then we'll have our moment. And so the first reason offense is bad, what's so wrong with offense, is because it pollutes. The second reason is because offense progresses. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, progresses? Awesome. I'm going to get Joel to check out Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look at, do I have that up there next, Joel? Yeah, I do. Okay, awesome. Sweet. We're going to talk about how in this verse, um, offense progresses. And if you see, at the very start, it says, even if you were angry at someone, you're subject to judgment. And so at the start of this verse, the person's problem, their offense it started as a thought, right? It's like if you're angry about someone, if it's in your head, he's already saying it's not good, but it starts off in the person's head. And so then it moves to his lips, and then he calls someone an idiot, and then he curses someone. So it goes from his head to his lips. And then we read the next verse. What does it say next? Then it says, if you're presenting a sacrifice to the old and you remember that someone has something against you, and then it goes to not just being in his head, not just being on his lips, but that goes to affecting his life, right? That's, that's the level of pollution. That's affecting his life, his relationship with people, and his relationship with God. And so we went from just a thought to just a few words to it affecting his whole life. And then the next verse, which I don't think I have up there. No, I do. Then it says, when you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. And I was reading um, some stuff by Stephen Furtick this week, and he said, you know, he originally just thought that was a completely different situation sentence, but he's like, man, what if, what if what happens in this verse is that it starts off as a thought, then it goes to his mouth, then it's his whole world, and then soon enough, the person who was his friend at the start is his adversary at the end, and it kind of seems crazy, but that's how offense works. It progresses, and you know, sometimes it can be like, what's wrong with one little offense? Like, I'm mad at that person, but it's not going to like take over and pollute my whole life. Um, you know, like, it was just her, she had my sushi, eventually I'll forgive her, it's not that big of a deal. But the problem with offense is that it always progresses. And how can one, like, small thing progress into something big? I think that, um, sorry, now I'm overthinking my, where I'm going. Um, but sometimes it's, it's hard to see like how one little thing can go into something big, right? But there's a verse in the Bible, and it talks about when we let the little foxes in the vineyard. And if you let one fox in the vineyard, there's not really like a big problem. It's not going to destroy your grapes. It's not really like a problem. But the thing is, when you let one fox into your vineyard, soon enough other foxes will come to join it. And there'll be 10 foxes, and there'll be 20 foxes, then there'll be 100 foxes, and they will overrun your vineyard, and everything will be destroyed. And the Bible teaches us that that's the same in our lives, that if we let one offense come in, like, it's not that bad by itself, right? Like, one offense, eh, what can that do? But when one offense lives in our life, we let room for another offense to join it and another offense to join it. And soon enough, we have offense on offense on offense, which is completely over in our lives, polluted our lives, and it takes us hostage. And, you know, the thing with offense is often offense is not about, i read it from my notes, what does it say? 
I mean, I've lost it. Okay, here it is. Often offense is less about magnitude and more about proximity. Do you get that this morning? Sometimes someone, I could meet a random stranger in the parking lot and they could come and they could be incredibly rude about my driving. They could just like yell at me. Um, has anyone ever had that happen before? Yep, you did a really terrible park and freaked them out. You're going to hit their car and they're like, you suck at driving. I've had that before. Um, and like at the time, I'm like, excuse me, who are you? But a week later, I don't remember it, right? But if Dave came to me and told, and this has happened also, um, <laughs> recently, um, if he was negative about my driving, it's a lot easier to let that get to me, right? Because proximity happens more than magnitude. So a random stranger yelling at me about how bad my driving is. I can, I can let that slide. But Dave, even like one kind of comment, like maybe saying, maybe it's better if I drive. That can really get me, right? Because his proximity, proximity to me gets me. And sometimes, you know, you can look at a relationship like a really good friendship or a really good, like, you know, like close friends or a friend group or a marriage, a relationship that's close. And sometimes you can think, you know, like, I'm not going to let, you know, that get bad. But sometimes one offense that comes into that, because so your proximity is close, it's easy to get offended, that's easier to let offenses build on top of each other and progress. And, you know, when we were in, um, Dave and I went to America earlier this year and we were driving a car and Dave was very excited. That's all he wanted to do on the whole trip. I planned almost the entire trip. What do you want to do, Dave? I want to hire a convertible car and drive down from San Francisco to LA. So that's what we did and that was all Dave wanted to do. And so we got to the car rental place and they'd got the wrong car and we ended up getting a way flasher car than we meant to. And Dave got this like bright yellow Chevy Camaro, like bumblebee car. And he was like so stoked. He was like, yes. Um, but I'm also over 25 now and I can get, like, I can drive a rental car. And so for the last maybe four or five years, that was always Dave's excuse. The excess would have to go up to allow you to drive Gina. So I'll just drive. And it made sense then. That made sense. But as soon as I hit 25, it got to the point where I'm like, should I, should I put my license on as well? And I was like, that's oh, all right. Like, I'll drive. And I'm like, oh, I, wanna, I might want to drive the cool yellow car as well. And so I put my license on and fair enough, right? Like half-half is how I thought it should work, but apparently not. And so, <laughs> but eventually, Dave got a little tired. He's not, he's not very great at staying awake when driving. So we got later in the afternoon. And so I got to drive and I drove for like six hours down to a place called Palm Springs where we were going. And I just, I was, to be honest, a little terrifying. Um, I'm not very good at keeping the car in the lane on the wrong side of the road. And so um, we pretty much bounced off the bump like the lines on the road for six hours but we made it um and Dave slept most of the way and what can he complain about but the next morning we got up and um I was going to jump in the car and drive and Dave's like I think it's I think it's better if I drive and I was like excuse me and um Dave didn't let me drive for the rest of the trip and it was a little bit of tension I've got to say in our relationship um and every time Dave did anything wrong if Dave even slightly hit the rumble strips I'd be like, I don't, I, don't, I don't think this is very safe. I'm like, Dave, move over on the road. I was just, I, you know, like, we used to that little, little seed of, like, bitterness or offense come in. And every time he did anything wrong, it indicated for too long, it indicated too little. I'd be pointing it out the whole rest of the trip, and I did not let it slide. But the thing is, sometimes, because of his proximity to me, small comments can get me right. But, you know, like, the random stranger in the parking lot yelling at me, like, yeah, I don't, you know, I barely remember that. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't annoy me at all. Um, 
And so sometimes in our relationships, it seems crazy, like a beautiful, amazing relationship. How can that be destroyed? Like how could this relationship in Matthew 5, two friends, end up being in court, there are like adversaries fighting each other. But that's how it happens. That's how like a beautiful friendship can go to something like, you know, two complete enemies. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone do that, but it just doesn't make sense. But it's because we let offense after offense build and offenses progress. They don't just stay the same. And I think... um, the, the crazy thing is that we talked about different things that can hold us hostage the last few weeks and, you know, anxiety and addiction. But I think that offense is a different one because the devil knows that in offense, he barely has to do anything to get us caught up, held hostage, bitter with this like progressive poisonous offense in our lives. And, you know, how does he do it? He doesn't come along and be like, you know what, um, I don't know. Maddie and Maddie, you guys are real close, good friends. And um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to destroy your relationship. Because if the devil came and did that, right, we'll be like, no, not happening. You can't get at us. We're good friends. No, get away from here. But instead, all that the devil has to do is like plant these seeds of offense. They're just really small. It's just like a little bit like, oh, I don't know why she said that. Or like, oh, I don't, I don't really like what she did there. Just these small things. And then if we let them grow, they can turn into these massive things, right? And the devil doesn't come and say, like, I'm going to tear, tear apart your whole relationship. It's just little seeds of offense. And I think that's the craziest thing. He knows that, yeah, these, these small things can turn into something so big. And I hate that. I don't want to let the devil still steal, kill, and destroy my life when he's barely doing any work, right? Like, he just comes and plants these seeds and let us fester and get mad and get bitter and let offense progress. And he doesn't do anything, but he gets to destroy relationships we have in our lives. And I think that's so much why Jesus hates offense. He's like, you let these little things come in. You know, like maybe the devil just plants this little thought in your head and the devil doesn't really have to do anything. He just plants these things and watches them grow. And eventually they like tear apart relationships. They tear apart churches. They tear apart families. Offense progresses and it gets ugly. So the first thing that offense does is it poisons. The second thing is it progresses. And the third thing it does is it in prisons. And I wrote down a note to myself earlier this week, and Dave laughed at it. Um, he told me it was weird, but I like it, so I'm going to tell you it. I wrote this. Offense after offense builds a fence. Does that make sense? Whoa, that's deep. See, I told Dave. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> um, offense after offense builds offense. And it sounds ridiculous, but it's true. If you imagine that each offense you take is like a plank of wood, let's just imagine a two by four. That's a bit of wood, eh? Yeah. Um, piece of two by four. Um, and so each offense you get, you know, maybe like, I don't know, your friend just makes an off comment, or you don't get invited somewhere, or, you know, like whatever it is, small, small things happen. Maybe um, you're wheeling the rubbish bin out to the road, and you're like, I always do this rubbish bin. No one around here ever, like, you know, the small things. doesn't have to be big, just small things. And each time we, like, let a little bit of a fence creep in, it's like we kind of grab this bit of wood and we just carry it around with us. Unless we deal with it, we just carry around this bit of, a, bit of wood, um, this bit of a fence. And eventually, the more and more happens, it pollutes us, it progresses, a fence progresses, so we get more and more when there's one there. Another one joins it, and we let, we let a few more come, and we, you know, like, then the friend who had just originally not invited us to something, they make a comment, and then we get, like, three more bits of wood, because we're like, oh, my goodness, she meant to do that. Um, 
And eventually, we end up carrying around all these pieces of wood, basically like building a fence in our lives that imprisons ourselves. And that's the crazy thing with offense and bitterness. The devil doesn't have to like come and like do all this stuff. We carry it ourselves, and we basically hold ourselves hostage by carrying all these things which are imprisoning ourselves. And that kind of scares me. I'm like, man, that's crazy that we can carry these things that we feel like, you know, like, sometimes, I think, always, when you're carrying an offense, you kind of feel like it's not doing anything to you, right? You're carrying an offense, and you're like, but this is about someone else. Like, it's not about me. It's about them, and this is just keeping me protected and safe from going back and making the same decision again. Or this is just um, keeping me, makes me feel, you know, stronger or, like, less of a victim if I do this. And so we end up carrying all these things, which we think are reflections on other people, but really end up just imprisoning us and no one else whatsoever. And I, I told you the, already how the, um, in Proverbs it talks about the one little fox spoiling the vineyard. But that's the same with offense. One offense, mm, one offense isn't that bad. But the problem with offense is they progress and we carry more and more and eventually they imprison us because we're carrying so many. And just like the little foxes, one of them it's fine, but when we have 100 foxes in our vineyard, it's really bad. Awesome. Sorry, I'm just letting that sink in. Is that all right? You got it? Awesome. I got a question for you. So we've already talked about what is so bad about offense. And offense pollutes, progresses, and imprisons us. Offense is bad. And I was thinking about my message this morning as I was driving to church, actually. And I thought, man, I just, I just then just spent the last 15 minutes telling us why offense is so bad. And I was listening to a song um, by Hillsong, and they were just talking about, it said, where the wind the wind goes where you say, so will I. And I was like, man, we should firstly just take it at face value that if Jesus is like, offense is bad, we should listen to it. But it's good to, it's good to know why. Um, so that's why. My next question for you this morning is, are you offended? And if you want to say no this morning, I'm very impressed because um, that's a very hard thing to do. I think that um, offense is something that's so easy to let slip into our lives. It's so easy to have something that we carry around. It's so easy to be something that we get used to. It's normal. It's not that bad. Carrying offenses are like a really easy, normal thing to do. And I think that's why we kind of think we normalize and we think it's not that bad because we've done it for so long. And the thing is, we all have a good excuse to be offended. We all have a good excuse to be bitter. You have a good excuse to be offended or bitter. And I'm, you know, Jesus doesn't come and say, you have no problems. Your problems aren't that bad. Look at the children in Africa. Jesus doesn't come and say, look, I died on a cross for you. Like, you know, like think about people in Syria. He doesn't come and say, your problems are nothing. Jesus knows that we have reasons to be offended. Every single person does. We have reasons why we could hold on to it or why we should hold on to it. But Jesus knows that offense, when we hold on to it, it's about us, not about the other person, and it injures us. And that's why he asks us to let go of it. But I just want to quickly talk about how do you know if you're offended? And I think Joel's got a slide up. Do you have it up? Is there one, Joel? Maybe it's not. Yeah, there we go. How do you know if you're offended? First one is that offended people justify their bitterness or they justify their offense. And so for me, um, I'm mad at my friend. She ate my sushi. But I'm like, that was almost my whole week's wage. I was looking forward to that sushi that whole night. I had a lot of reasons why I could and why I did justify why I was mad about it, right? And 
It's what bitter people do. It's what offended people do. We justify what we're doing. And the thing we just said is you can justify it because you did have something bad. But justifying shows us that we are offended. The second thing is offended people become overly critical. And I don't know if you've ever done this. Um, Maybe you've got one person who's close to you and they've hurt you or um, upset you or offended you. And then another one of your friends, they're not even trying to do anything. They're just making some passing comment, you know, probably about the weather. And it just gets you and you don't know why. But because when you're offended, you become critical of not just the one person, but of everyone. Um, Sometimes critical of God, sometimes critical of church, of whatever offended you, you can become overly critical. The next thing is that offended people secretly celebrate misfortunes of others. And I don't think I have to delve into that one. You probably know what that means. But when we get offended, we get a little bit... It's all right when someone, you know, something bad happens to someone, when someone else... I can't think of a sushi example, so I'm not going to try. But, you know, like when something else happens to someone... You know, on the outside, you're like, oh, no. And you're like, what happened? But it's just because you want to know more. You're like, oh, far out. Do you know, are they all right? But you just want to kind of hear some gossip. Offended people celebrate others' misfortunes. And the last one is offended people struggle to see it in the mirror. And how true is that? I know this week I got really, really irritated by something someone said to me. And um, I don't think they were trying to be irritating at all or say anything. Um, but I was just really annoyed at it. And Dave, he was just like having a little jab at me as well. He's like, maybe you're a little bit offended about this, Gina. I was like, no, it was just, and then I was like, trying to like think of, trying to justify why I wasn't offended. And eventually, um, even though I didn't think I was, I realized, you know, I just got offended by something really stupid. Um, but sometimes when we're offended, it's really hard to see it in the mirror, right? We can think, it's not I'm offended, it's just I don't want to be their friend. Or it's not I'm offended, it's just um, I can't be around them. Or it's not I'm offended, it's just, um, I don't know, I can't come to this church because the music's weird. Or it's not that I'm offended, it's just I can't do that or do that. And sometimes we can, eat, we can justify to ourselves, we can tell it, we can struggle to see it in the mirror. And this morning, if there's anyone here and you're not offended, um, you're probably like a saint. Because it's so, it's so easy to do. Um, and I guess this morning we just want to talk about how we can live a life that's less offended. And I mean, probably the chance of you never being offended again is very, very slim. Um, I, I definitely couldn't do it even. I got offended while I was writing this message this week and I was very conscious about offense. Um, it's a hard thing, but we need to learn how to make sure that we, you know, when offense comes, we, we don't do that. We don't struggle to see it in the mirror, but we can actually be aware of when offense comes in our life. We can see the root of it and then we can make sure it doesn't progress or imprison us. And the best thing ever is um, Jesus tells us how to do this in the Bible, and so good. The first, um, the first thing, I guess it's not exactly, no, it is. It's about how to not be offended. I have a question for you. And it says, do you want to get well? And in John 5, there's a story of a man, and he is paralyzed, and he has been for, I think it's 37 or 38 years, and he's lying beside a pool, and in the pool, um, the... The story was that an angel would come and stir it, and whoever jumped into the pool after the angel stirred it, they would be healed. And so there was all these sick and disabled people sitting around the pool, and people would help them get in, and they would be healed. And Jesus came along to this pool one day, and he saw a man, and he had no one to help him get in. And he hadn't been in the pool, and he'd been sitting there for years and years and years. And Jesus comes and asks him, do you want to get well? And to everyone watching, it seems like a really stupid question. He's sitting beside this pool. He wants to get in. That's why he's here. Like, he wants to get well. That's why he's here. But Jesus asked this question, do you really want to get well? 
And I think sometimes in life, and I know if you've been like this, we can be sitting beside the pool, so to speak, but not really actually want to get well. And this is one that's real, real to me. Um, I go to the dentist um, like once a year, every two years for the checkup. Um, they text me in the week saying I need to go to the hygienist. Um, but whenever I go there, I know what they're going to tell me every time. You need to floss. Is anyone here a flosser? Okay. Some, I, I feel embarrassed to tell us, but I honestly just, I can't do it. I get a pack of floss, and I floss once, and it hurts, and then it's weird, and I just can't do it very well, and I give up. And so I go to the dentist every year, and I listen to her spiel, and I'm like, I nod, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, yep, yep, yep. I agree with everything she says. I'm very like, yeah, no, I, ne- I know I need to. Yep, I will floss, and she gives me a packet of floss. But every time, it's with zero intention of actually changing, right? I don't actually want to floss. I don't, I'm, every time I go with no intention, and I, well, you've done it heaps of times, like, you know, you go to mass class, and you sit in there, and you look at the illustrations on the board, but you just already have decided that you're not going to learn algebra. I don't care. I don't need to know that. We, sometimes there's things, right, and we, got, we, you know, we go to the dentist, but we have no intention of changing. And I think sometimes we can come to church a little bit with no intention of shifting something. Like, I'll come, and I'll listen to the message, but I actually don't want to change that in my life. And I think that the last two weeks... Do you want to get rid of addiction? Yeah, that's an easy one. Do you want to get rid of anxiety? Of course I do. But do you want to get rid of offense? It's a little bit of a harder one because getting rid of offense actually takes us to put down the things that have hurt us. Sometimes it can be painful to get to put down offense. And to be honest, sometimes offense, holding offense can give us a false sense of power or security or justice. You know, I have, I have power because I'm holding this. So it gives me security that I hold this offense from this person because I know they can't hurt me when I'm still mad at them. And so I believe that Jesus, I guess, first needs us to, to, to decide, do we actually want to let go of offense? Because it's not as obvious or as simple, as easy as other things in our lives. And getting rid of offense can be awkward and it can be painful. And it means putting down and forgiving things that are, can be really difficult to us. And I guess um, letting go of offense is the best thing you could ever do. And that's why Jesus hates it, and he speaks against it in the Bible, and he says verses like the one in Hebrews 12, where he's like, hold to God's grace, and don't let the bitter root grow in your life. He's like, don't let it happen, don't let it happen. But I believe he's here this morning saying, do you actually want to let go of offense? Because I can preach this message, and it's great, but if you're sitting here like, that's cool, and like I do at the dentist, you're like, "Mm mm-hmm, that's good, yep, 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 I know, but you actually don't want to put it down. It's kind of pointless, and so I just, just for a moment, um, I'm going to keep talking, but why don't you just ask yourself, like, is this something I actually need to let go of and something I want to let go of and something I'm willing to let go of? And maybe if you're like me and you're like, go on the dentist and I'm nodding, but I'm not going to flush. And just say, God, I need you to come and do something in me to help me get to a place where I actually be like, actually, I do want to let go of that offense. Actually, God, I do want to let go of that. And the way to get rid of offense um, is to realize that it's all about grace. And Hebrews 12:15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And when it comes to killing offense and bitterness in our lives, there's only one thing that's really going to help, and that's God's grace. You know, like there's no like five-step principle. If you make a new resolution to be less offended, it's not going to work because um, that's really hard and really impossible. But the Bible talks about how when we miss God's root, God's grace, we let the bitter root grow. 
but when we have grace, we stop it from. And I believe that grace does three things. The first thing is it gives perspective to our offense. And, you know, when we, I talked before about how God doesn't come and say you shouldn't be offended because there's kids in Africa or whatever. But I do believe that when we understand God's grace and the grace that God has for us, our, our offense can be put into perspective. And, you know, like sometimes you're like, man, if only there was, you know, someone who was just like offended really badly and could just be such a good example for us how to let that go. That is Jesus, right? He came to earth and he was offended and he had every excuse to be bitter and to be offended. Like he did nothing and yet they crucified him. And Jesus had every single excuse to be bitter, but instead he, cho- he chose to give grace. And when we understand that grace, that the grace he had for those people, but also for us, it begins to put our offense into perspective. When we realize, man, how much grace God's given me, how much grace I have received, when we live in light of that, when we know how much grace God's given to us, we should naturally begin to give grace to other people, even when it seems unfair, even when it doesn't seem deserved. Because of the undeserved grace we have from God, grace, giving grace to other people should become a byproduct of that. You know, when we look at our situation in light of Jesus' situation, where he gave grace when it wasn't deserved, we get perspective, and it can help us to see how we could give grace when it seems impossible. Like if you've even been in a place where like, I don't know how I could forgive or I don't know how I could stop being bitter or offended. I don't know how I could give grace to that person. When we see Jesus and how he gave grace when it was so undeserved, it seemed so ridiculous, it begins to give us perspective that we can give grace as well. And so grace gives perspective. Grace diffuses offense is the second one. Um, and I love this. To diffuse something is to disable it or um, disarm it, or deactivate it. And I kind of love the idea of God's grace being like a bomb squad in our lives. And if you've ever watched a movie where there's like a cool bomb squad, and they go on and they defuse bombs, you could never imagine a bomb squad going into a room where there's a bomb sitting there and just ignoring it. Like, that's not what bomb squads do, right? They don't just be like, well, we're off hours, so we're just going to sit here and have a cup of tea, and there's just like a ticking bomb over there, but hopefully a different bomb squad will come who's on duty right now, and they'll solve they'll like come sorted out. Bomb squads, they love putting out bombs, right? They see a bomb, they're like running to it, they see anything, and they're like cutting wires, and I don't know, I don't know what they do, like blow stuff up or whatever. I believe that grace acts the same way in our life, that if we have God's grace in us, we understand the grace he's given us and we have that inside of us. It's so hard for us to also harbor offense and grace at the same time. They don't really, things that coexist, just like a bomb and a bomb squad don't coexist. Grace and offense don't happily coexist. And when we have God's grace in us, it wants to go and sort out offense. It wants to go and tackle offense. It wants to go and do something about it and give grace to other people and to offenses we have in our lives. And I think that's awesome that God's grace hates to coexist with offense. And when we can say, God, I need your grace in the inside of me, God, maybe it's, I need more of your grace in the inside of me, God, I need way, way, way more, that it hates to coexist with our offense. And a third thing that grace does is it allows us to forgive and keep forgiving. And, you know, the only, I guess, grace, God's grace diffuses offense in our life. But the only way it can do that is if we allow it to by forgiving. Um, God's grace can't come and forgive all our problems for us. It's not going to come and, you know, like sort out everything. We have to learn to forgive and to keep forgiving. And that's difficult. But the thing is that God's grace comes and it helps us to do that. And 
I was reading a quote this week that I love, and it says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. And that's what offense does. It keeps us a prisoner, not the other person. Um, but I love that. It's really forgiveness that can break offense. It's not, you know, writing list of news resolutions just to, like, think more positive thoughts or whatever. It's actually just forgiveness that does it. And that's what, how Jesus, Jesus went on the cross and he said, like, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He just forgave everyone. And it's the same for us. When we get God's grace, it allows us to forgive and keep forgiving. And, you know, God's grace will give us, the, God's grace will help us to forgive for past offenses, for present offenses, for future ones. And for those ones, you know, like the ones where you just need to keep forgiving. There's some offenses where, you know, it's just a one-off thing and you've got it and you're sorted. But there's those, there's those times, those relationships with people where time and time again, you just feel like you have to constantly keep forgiving. And that's hard where it's just like not just one decision to not be offended, but where so many times week after week you have to decide, I'm not going to be offended. I'm going to forgive this. And I believe that God's grace is what allows us to do that. Otherwise, it's so almost impossible. Like forgiving without God's grace is so hard. And we talked about why we don't want to let offense in our lives. And that's because it pollutes and it progresses and it imprisons us. And the real way to get it out is to forgive, but to forgive with God's grace. Because in your own strength, it's so hard and it's so impossible. And it's going to be so easy for next week for the person to say something again and you just go straight back to square one. But when we invite God's grace in and say, God, I can't do it with myself. I can't live less offended by myself, but I need you to because you're the one who gave us the perfect example of how to have grace and how to drop offense and how not to live bitter. When you say that and say, God, I need your grace in my life, it'll come in and it'll give us perspective. It'll help diffuse offenses and it'll allow us to forgive and to keep forgiving. And so um, this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity if everyone just closes your eyes. If you're like, God, maybe I'm not perfect at this. God, maybe I've been living offended. God, maybe um, I've been letting offense imprison me and I don't know how to solve it on my own. I can't do it by myself. But I just want to invite more of your grace into my situation this morning. God, I want to invite more of your grace into my life this morning. And God, that with your grace that I'll be able to forgive and to keep forgiving and have grace to let offense go and to drop it and to live less bitter because I know that in the end it's just imprisoning me. And if that's you, I just want you to shake your hand up. I'm just going to pray and include you in my prayer that God would come and do that this morning. That's why everyone's eyes closed. If that's you, shake your hand up. Awesome. See those hands. Cool. Awesome. Anyone else? Right. Awesome. Why don't we all jump to our feet and we'll just pray. Awesome. Yeah. God, I thank you this morning that, yeah, we could speak about a kind of awkward, hard topic, God, something that probably most of us struggle with, God. And, yeah, we thank you this morning, God, that you came. And I guess you come and you have the answers, God, that we just don't talk about this and say, oh, well, try harder good luck, but we can come and say, God, we know that with you in our situations, we can do this, God. When we have you in our situations, we can live less offended, God. We can let go of that. We can forgive. And so I pray this morning for every single person who raised their hand and said, God, I need your grace to come in. God, I need your grace to come in so I can forgive, so I can diffuse offense. And so God, that, yeah, that can stop having a hold over me. And God, I pray this morning that your grace would come, like God, it would come in this morning and that, yeah, people would walk out of this place God, full of your grace and with 
God, you helping them find solutions, how to forgive, how to deal with stuff, God, that we would see this a place where people are just free from offense, free from bitterness, where people are, yeah, love people and have grace that seems crazy to their friends, God. And so, yeah, we just speak grace over those people, God. We prophesy that offense will be gone in their life, God, that from now, God, that they would find freedom from that, God, that that would no longer hold them hostage, God. So we thank you for that, God. We thank you for your grace, God. Amen. Amen. Awesome. We just give God a hand. I love that. That with God's grace, the things that are impossible in our own strength are possible, right? That's so good. Um, and I hope, I'm, first I want to thank you for coming and being part of the hostage series. I hope that all of the weeks or one of the weeks that God spoke to you about something and that it's something that, yeah, is changing in you. And we so believe that you know, God's word is powerful and it can actually change things. We don't just come and we just say this and it's just like a thing we do, but it actually can change something in us. And so we believe that this is going to break things in your life and I believe it's broken things in my life. Um, so, yeah, so awesome. Thanks for being a part of it. Um, and good luck. I sometimes feel like after we just talk about something, then the next week's the hardest week ever, right? You know, we talk about anxiety. The next week you just have every excuse to get anxious and we talk about addiction and then you have like a hundred notifications for Facebook on your phone. I feel like this week you may have a hundred reasons to get offended. You probably will. Um, but I believe that with God's grace that we can, we can do it, right? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Sweet. Thanks so much for having me this morning. I'll pass. Are we going to go into a song? Yeah, we are. Let's do it. Is it Grace Like a Wave? Ah, oh, what a perfect song.